Welcome back to the Joshua Shaw audio experience. Firstly, thank you for giving me a bit of your attention. I'm honored you trusted me with it, and I promise to return the favor by giving you a ton of edutainment value back. I want to welcome you back to another episode of what I've branded Pivotal. Since these interview-style segments tackle impactful CPG industry topics, and lessons from the business leaders that live it every day. In this episode, I talk with an amazing friend that just so happens to be the CEO of Vital Proteins, Tracy Warner Halama. She shares early stories about what went into the shifted consumer focus towards women that led to Vital Proteins becoming a billion dollar plus brand. Also how the company has continued to double its sales and stay the market leader, even after the Russian competitors have come to chase the vital proteins effect. Those are just a few of the many topics Tracy and I discussed, but before we get started on this incredible episode, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the sponsor of this content, New Live Science. Over the last 25 years, New Live Science has grown into a leading full-range ingredient supplier, early stage developer of nutraceuticals and a trusted turnkey service provider to the dietary supplement and cosmeceutical industry. You can find several New Live Science ingredients utilized within the Vital Proteins product portfolio, including the skin nourishing ingredient Astron that enhances collagen synthesis and hyaluronic acid. In fact, the plant-based compound Astron has shown in a study to increase type 1 collagen production by 60% in the outer layer of skin and 80% in the middle layer. If you're interested in obtaining more information around why brands are formulating with New Live Science ingredients to take their products to the next level, head over to newlivescience.com or reach out to me directly and I'll connect you with the relevant team member. But Without further delay, here is my conversation with Tracy Warner Halama, CEO of the market leading Nutri Cosmetic brand Vital Proteins. First off, Tracy, wanted to thank you for giving my community um, some of your time. I wanted to first kind of congratulate you on a recent uh, promotion from the president of Vital Proteins to the CEO of Vital Proteins. I think that happened in just January. So it's a fairly new um, promotion at this point. But Before we get into like the, I guess, nitty gritty of vital proteins and everything, I did want to ask you a question and um, kind of more personal about like what brought you to the like health and wellness industry because your uh, professional experience was all like in the tech industry for a number of years before you got into it. And I know like I transitioned from Microsoft over to the space and a lot of people were like, why, why would you leave? You know, whatsoever. So I guess I'm a little bit personally curious about like what brought you over to like the health and wellness, like CPG space. Um, Well, ironically, probably very similar to your own story. So fundamentally, I was in tech for 20 years and by all practical pursuits, I was successful. Um, I was a rising executive within IBM. I had worked for other large companies like EMC Dell, um, had worked for some Silicon Valley startups and Um, While I was professionally successful, I wasn't really passionate about what I do. And um, I was in my early 40s and I was um, getting into CrossFit. And this is uh, an interesting story because 
clearly suburban moms probably shouldn't have CrossFit dreams that involve going toe-to-toe with ex-NCAA athletes um, that are in their 20s. But as as a person, I'm pretty competitive, so I thought I could go toe-to-toe with them. And unfortunately, I had a shoulder labrum tear because of my competitiveness. And um, what it taught me was that, um, you know, maybe I should temper back a little bit what I do from an athletic pursuit standpoint. Um, But I lost mobility in my arm. And after six months worth of rehab, the highest I could get my arm was about here. And I was traveling a ton for work, you know, working at IBM. I was covering a fair um, geography in terms of uh, direct reports and then also accounts. And every time I got on a plane, I had to ask someone to put my luggage up in the overhead compartment, which was kind of embarrassing. And um, I ran into a colleague of mine from the tech world, Kurt Seidensticker, who is the founder and former CEO of Vital Proteins. And he said, I've got a business idea and I really want to run it past you because I don't know anyone that buys as many products as you do. So do you have a minute to take a look at my business plan? And he had sent me some product and he said, I need you to take this collagen every single day. Be consistent with your usage. So I'm like, okay, I'll put it in my coffee every morning. Got it. And after two and a half weeks, I went to grab a platter for dinner for my family. And all of a sudden, I stretched straight up. And I'm like, oh, this must not be my bad shoulder. And I'm like, holy shit, right? Excuse the French. Um, But holy cow, um, this is pretty incredible because I hadn't done anything else. Um, I was still doing PT. And then all of a sudden, it was that aha moment. The only thing that changed was my consumption of collagen. And it was after two and a half weeks. So that for me was, you know, the light bulb that went off. And I said, okay, well, if I could marry, you know, passion and purpose, and I know this sounds very dramatic that all of a sudden my life has changed because it, I mean, in some respect, it kind of did because I regained mobility and in your early forties, you shouldn't have any mobility issues, right? It's not like I was 70 or 80. Um, so for me, it was, hmm, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And so when that moment happened, I called up Kurt and I said, hey, listen, I think I can help you with your business plan. I can certainly help you from a a sales and marketing perspective. Um, How are you going to launch this product? And so that's really what happened back in 2014. And it was one of those like leap of faith, like it was a big risk. And I remember telling my parents about it. My dad was like, you're crazy. I can't believe you're going to leave IBM, a rising career at IBM, and go sell cow powder. That's what he used to call it, cow powder. Um, So, you know, that was the premise that led me into health and wellness because I really felt like it made such a big difference in my life. How many other people could this product make a difference in? Yeah. I mean, I think what you just said there is, I think, key to probably a lot of people that are in the industry, or at least that are so passionate about the like there's something that brought you in there and then you want to be able to share that with as many people that you can because i feel like though the supplements or any kind of like health and wellness products have become a lot more i guess um normalized i think especially the last couple of years but um there's still a lot of people that don't really understand like 
what they can provide and how to integrate them into their lives and just like the, the wide breadth of products that are out there. I think, you know, maybe you know about a few of the vitamins and minerals, but you don't know like the full spectrum of different products. So when you do find the things that work, it's like you want to tell everybody. And it's, um, I, I feel like I get that myself as well. And why I kept, you know, looking in the offices at Microsoft and saying like, this isn't for me. Like, like there's, there has to be more, there has to be something that's more exciting um, than just, you know, crunching a bunch of numbers and doing uh, revenue recognition stuff for, for, for a huge company, you know? So since you're with, you know, Vital since the early days um, and you kind of saw even, you know, before you joined when, when Kerr was just talking about like, you know, this idea of a business, I think he had mentioned it around, I think his joint um, like relief and, and things like that. And, that obviously is not necessarily the the angle anymore. You guys have evolved and kind of shifted, and you were part of the early days and and part of those discussions about the shift or the pivot towards, you know, maybe the female uh, buyer group or just being really the face, I think, of like this beauty from within or like Nutri Cosmetic um, space. So maybe you could talk through maybe some of those like early, I guess, like you know, brand building tenants and things that you've done, like to move the company to become like a, you know, billion dollar plus company at this point? Mm -hmm. um, so great question. Uh, so in the early days, like you said, you know, Kurt really, his vision was creating a paleo running company. So he himself was a runner and um, he was witnessing joint pain as he was approaching 50. And um, he was realizing that instead of having a day or two off post, you know, five mile run, he needed like three or four or five days to recover. So that was the genesis behind Vital Proteins. At the time, um, there were other collagen players in the market, but they were only in capsule form and they were 500 milligrams. Um, some of them were like 375. Um, his daughter was in medical school at the time and uh, she found an article that was glycine and the aging athlete. And for every kilogram of weight, you needed 0.6 grams of glycine. So that was really the white paper and the impetus that started the company. Um, and what we realized was for him, you know, he needed about 60 or 70 capsules in order to get that efficacious dose of collagen and or glycine, I should say. And um, for the average woman, probably not quite as many capsules, but who's really going to take, you know, 40, 50 60 capsules um, of collagen in addition to their daily, um, you know, vitamin regime. So what, what he thought of was, well, what if we could just make it into a powder and make it like protein powder that you would just put into your smoothie? Um, at the time, we hadn't really figured out the use case of coffee quite yet. Um, so fundamentally, that was the premise. And what we realized after going to Paleo FX and some of the early trade shows like Expo West and Expo East was the core of the consumers in any type of consumer products is predominantly female. Um, yes, you have, you know, the men that are making the choices, that 18 to 35-year-old demographic um, that makes the choices on the type of protein they're going to use, the type of pre-workout they're going to use in GNC and kind of the vitamin shop space. But if you think about all consumer products and even just protein and meal replacement, a lot of that decision-making is coming from females. So um, once we looked at the data and we saw such a strong kind of connection with collagen and the female perception that collagen equates to skin, hair, nails, we were like, hmm, 
you know, we still want a wellness premise, but we also think that there's this female demographic that we can go out and capture. And in 2017, we had a meeting with um, a buyer at Costco. Her name's Ashley, Ashley Kamara. Uh, she took a chance on us very early on. And um, she said, hmm, I think I could build a category within the beauty department because she was a beauty buyer entitled Beauty From Within. And so we leaned in big and it was a big risk because at that time, you know, we were still kind of going strong with beef gelatin and collagen peptides. And our target demographic was really the whole food set that crossed over a little bit into GNC and vitamin shop and mostly the natural consumer um, that weren't afraid of a little bit elevated price point because we've always been sold at a premium. So when Target um, had this idea of beauty from within, we changed the packaging, we changed um, the flavor combination. We were probably trying to over-architect it. Uh, lavender lemon was one of our flavors in the beginning, and then we kind of dumbed it down to strawberry lemon. Ironically, my 10-year-old daughter at the time aided in that strawberry lemon flavor. Um, she was the one who suggested it, and ironically, it's been the most successful beauty collagen that we've ever um, created. So um, I think it was a little bit of risk. You know, Kurt wanted to be merchandised in the OTC set. For those of you that don't know what OTC within Target is, over the counter, and it's basically where um, all the other whey protein and bars and all the kind of nutritional items live. So clearly the beauty section is in a different section. They're somewhat close to one another, but um, it was a risk. And I'm like, no, like we've got to take this opportunity. Like Target doesn't come calling and Target was the perfect retailer for us to kind of test and learn with beauty from within. And we got in store and within, I don't know, six months, the numbers were trending really strong week on week, lots of growth. And I think we all realized was, you know, this beauty consumer is serious about um, improving the texture of their hair, their skin, their nails, and they're willing to lean into something, you know, even though it's a protein powder, something that they, um, you know, traditionally were putting on topically. You talked about, you know, obviously there were competitors that were selling collagen. I mean, that was always kind of there, especially even in the sports nutrition um, industry. I remember the first place that I had worked at Muscle Farm, we had a like a collagen gel that was like um, portable that was similar to like the goo gels that were like the carbohydrates. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the product was like we could never get the manufacturing right because there was a bunch of like expanding and it just waste and it was bad. But it, but I think like there's been, you know, decades of, of people selling this. But regardless of people maybe being like first movers or whatever, um, you guys were the category creators. I mean, you guys were that person. And I always kind of dub, I've dubbed this a few times where you say like, you know, it's the vital proteins effect, or there's like the liquid IV effect where there's like, there's a category that gets created, even though it's been around for a while, it's been cemented by a, a like a main competitor. And then be it sales performance, be it a uh, very large splashy transaction, whatever that is, everybody rushes in. They all want to start offering products, which you guys have to deal with on a constant basis. Now everybody's launching, you know, collagen products. Everybody's launching different Nutri-Cosmetic or Beauty From Within products. You know, it's like every single 
um, set that you guys are in across every channel, there are people beating down those merchandisers and those buyers' doors saying, we have the next this, we, you know, we're going to uh, supplant vital proteins out of the top spot. But despite all of that, um, you guys have continued to keep your market share, I think, above 50%. Um, you guys continue to, you know, differentiate yourselves. And I, I'm just kind of curious, like having all those like um, competitors kind of nipping at your, uh, you know, toes, like how do you stay, I guess, aggressive and nimble and making sure you're different in the market? Mm -hmm. um, great question. Uh, you know, I think that it is a little bit of the Vital Proteins brand halo. So like from the early days, we were very committed to transparency, clean label and quality. So um, we were the first ones to put a cow on the front of our label. So if you would have thought about collagen 10 years ago, it's one of those things where you would say, hmm, is that from a vegan source or is that from an animal source? And you didn't really know. And if you looked at some of the other brands that were in the VMS set, like I said, the tablets and capsules um, prior to our powder launch, um, you know, it wasn't on the back of pack. It wasn't on the front of pack. So we really were very committed from day one about transparency and clean label. We um, we went all over the world trying to source the best um, collagen that we could. So obviously collagen comes from a bovine. It's the hide of a cow. And we found the right type of Nilor cow, which doesn't produce um, estrogen. So it doesn't have the hormonal rush ebbs and flows of like a, a, a pregnant cow. So um, they're only raised for meat production. So we found that that type of cow produced the cleanest collagen. So that commitment to really sourcing and making sure that if we were to give collagen a wine spectator score, that we would always be in the 95 um, point range or higher, and that we were never going to skimp on quality, which is, you know, like, it's part of our brand ethos. So I would say that was kind of first and foremost. We did have first mover advantage in the market. So we were the first one to really put it into an efficacious dose of grams. Everyone else was doing, like I said, the 500 milligrams, the one gram, the two grams, um, but no one was going to market with 20 grams of collagen. Bone broth was pretty popular in 2015, 2016. Uh, when we first started. So I think a lot of people were either thinking about bone broth or collagen when they realized how flavorless and how easy collagen was to use. You could put it in your tea, you could put it in your water, you could put it in your coffee. Um, you know, obviously collagen became the, like the market winner. Um, I would say, you know, another big element that makes Vital different is, um, we're a marketing machine. So in the early days, because of our tech background, um, a lot of the founding team members have a technology background. We always called ourselves a digital marketing company that happened to sell CPG products. Yeah. And I think because our heritage was, we took risks, we did agile development, we did things that, you know, kind of the same premise of Silicon Valley companies that started up, um, it wasn't really the mindset and the processes of big CPG. So we were willing to fail. We were willing to take risks. We were willing to, um, you know, quickly, uh, you know, revisit and pivot and then try, try again. So I think that um, having that kind of fail forward approach, having that real commitment to marketing, we started working with bloggers before, well, before 
influencers uh, really made it on the scene. So we worked with Wellness Mama and uh, Melissa Hartwig, now Melissa Urban, in the early days who started speaking about our product. So I think that was very pivotal. Clearly, that influencer strategy led us into having celebrity fans like Jennifer Aniston and the Kardashians and most recently Addison Rae. So I think that, um, you know, that kind of focus on marketing influencer, but I mean, truly the best marketing tactic for us is word of mouth because we had such a high quality product. Um, and then lastly, I would say that, you know, we've got a really great sales organization that understands um, where we need to be from a point of distribution standpoint. And even in the early days, um, you know, there are fundamental some, you know, guardrails that I put up that we weren't going to cross. We weren't going to go into Walmart too early. We went into Walmart pretty late in 20, late 2019. So most brands tend to go into Walmart a lot earlier you know, we told them no for a while. Um, and that's not traditionally what I think most young startups would do. But we knew that our consumer was premium. We knew that Whole Foods had really helped incubate our brand. We knew that Costco really helped scale our brand. And entering into Walmart too soon, um, when those established channels weren't there yet, could have been, you know, a little bit disastrous for us. So we waited. And, um, you know, now we have such a healthy Walmart business and I think taking collagen into middle America, um, has been a great strategy for us over the past 18 months. And certainly using a big name like Jennifer Aniston, who's our chief creative officer, and she's not just, you know, a brand ambassador per se, she's also co-developing products with us. And she has a very clear point of view on wellness, the ingredients that she likes, what she'd be interested in consuming. So I think all of that really kind of makes the entire vital difference. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of those strategies that you guys put together, you string them all together and you align them and it, you know, creates this almost like perfect web of things. And I know that obviously, you know, sometimes tests don't work out and maybe we don't know about those and, you know, wherever, but from a outward kind of like spectator, you know, looking on, I've always been, you know, extremely impressed with all the moves that have been made over the last, I would say three to five years of just like paying attention and just kind of having that seem like each one of the levers are getting pulled at the right time. And, you know, you're being thoughtful and not being hasty towards some of these decisions that ultimately serve the wrong master, you know, where you say like something like a Walmart or something. Yeah. I mean, from a revenue perspective, it could be a great move early to just get yourself in there, but does that serve the wrong? Like, are you ready for that? Does that ultimately help the brand get to where you want it to go and be in a stronger position long-term? You have to kind of wait for those opportunities to make sense for the brand, not just maybe for their merchandising set or for maybe a, a revenue perspective or something like that. So I think it's it's great that you kind of talk through some of that stuff because I think that thoughtful approach is super important in CPG because there's a ton of things that get thrown your way and you have to understand which things you could say yes to, like you should say yes to and which ones you shouldn't. You know, if it's right. even from just like you're mentioning product development and things of that nature, like, yeah, there's a ton of trends. There's a ton of things that are um, going on, but it, doesn't necessarily mean that you should be the one that's grabbing it. Like, is it on brand and is it on trend? If it's not on brand first, like maybe let somebody else handle it. Let somebody else kind of run with it. Don't feel like 
you have to do the uh, shiny nickel syndrome or something like where you see something you're like, oh, let me grab it or wherever. You have to be kind of a lot more thoughtful because there's going to be a ton of opportunities to get past your way, but you have to make sure that you're thoughtful in the approach that you kind of create. For sure. Like I remember when some of our retailers were coming to us and, you know, kind of poking around, like, what about CBD and collagen? And I'm like, we're not a CBD company. We're a collagen company. <laughs> and if you look at our portfolio, you know, 97, 98% of our products have collagen in them. Now, fundamentally, the title is Vital Proteins. So I do think that we have the ability to flex into maybe plant protein. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our gummy innovation, which we introduced about a year ago, um, five out of the six formulas do not have collagen. So um, I don't want to be completely earmarked into collagen only, but I just didn't think that CBD with all of the um, the legislature in place right now, and you know, it's really hard to get a CBD product into a Target or you know even a Whole Foods, for example. So that just didn't seem on brand for us. You know, we really strive to kind of have that fuller, vibrant lifestyle, how to maximize your best life, and um, that's a different storyline, and it's probably a storyline that someone else is going to tell much better than we are. Now, I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier around like sometimes a splashy transaction ends up like uh, happening, which I think most people, if they know anything about vital proteins, knows that you know you guys did have uh, one of those um, with Nestle now um, being the owner, which I think is a great shepherd of health and wellness brands. I think they're creating a very huge like health and wellness powerhouse with these assets that they're. Um, gobbling up right now, and, and they probably have a lot more that they want to kind of grab and, and kind of integrate together. Um, so I'm excited to kind of see where that goes. But that transaction didn't slow you guys down at all. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when that does happen, a lot of things with integration or whatever happens, it slows you down. But last year, I think you guys grew, you know, doubled your business. Um, and through, um, you know, with new owners and probably a lot of like just shifts of um, human capital or different um, administrative, you know, process procedures, all that kind of stuff, but you're able to do that. And I'm kind of curious, like how are you able to kind of push through, um, some of that noise and really kind of keep focusing on, you know, revenue, brand, customer, all that kind of stuff. So Nestle Health Science has really kind of curated this, um, group of brands that it's more elevated than better for you. It's not quite pharmaceutical. So it's food is medicine, if you will. And, you know, great brands like Garden of Life or Gain, um, atrium innovations. So there's a lot of brands that kind of fit that realm. Um, so first of all, you know, having that kind of relentless why, you know, why we fit in, I think is important. And then understanding that, you know, they bought us for a reason and they want to keep, you know, the specialness, the, the unicorn fairy dust of vital proteins in place. So they really were, you know, very hands-off with us both last year and even now, um, as a fully acquired um, company, the only person within Vital that reports into Nestle is myself. Um, so I would say that, you know, it was a very thoughtful integration. Um, how can we best leverage the trajectory that, you know, Vital was currently on? And we grew more in terms of year-on-year um, -year growth in 2021 post um, first part of the acquisition. So we grew 103% the year before we had only grown 60%. So I think once they saw how well it was working, um, you know, across the board, everyone was really cheering us on and say, how can we help out? And Nestle did a lot for us. Um, 
you know, global distribution was something that we were really challenged with as a as a family owned business and as a single entity. So being able to open up those levers of distribution globally, um, our Canada business went through the roof, our UK business went through the roof. We're now in 17 countries um, outside of the US. So that's been tremendous for us. I think sourcing, when you think of Nestle, you think of coffee and you think of chocolate. So sourcing raw materials for our um, collagen, our chocolate collagen, um, was really critical. So they drove out a lot of um, cost and efficiencies. So I think that there's been a really good merriment between the two organizations. Like we recognize the strength that Nestle brings to the table. They recognize the strengths that Vital brings to the table. And we really try to get the most out of one another without saying, hey, you have to you know, kind of adhere to these new policies and new processes. There are some, um, as with any acquisition, you know, we've we've had a hard time going from um, Gmail and G Suite to you know, kind of the Microsoft Suite. But I mean, other than that, it's been it's been pretty great. So I think you're, you know, a third of the way through your first year as a CEO. I guess maybe rate yourself on the first. You know, 30, 33 percent of the first year, but then also like, you know, what, um, you know, what do you hope to accomplish over the next, you know, year or so um, now that you're, you know, at the helm of this, you know, super impressive brand? Great question. Uh, you know, rate myself. Um, so the funny thing is, I'm actually in a graduate school program at the University of California, Berkeley, and it's the CEO program. So it's like an accelerated MBA for uh, for a one year program. And coming into it, I was able to um, get the baseline of our company. So 30 different people, executives and leaders in the company, filled out a survey. And they kind of said current state of Vital and where they'd like Vital to go. So it was a great roadmap for me. Um, and what it told me was we were a little bit too focused on results and not focused enough on people. So I would say my first four months after I got that feedback, I'm like, wow, okay, we've really got to kind of change our approach. And when you think about it, three, four years ago, working for companies like, you know, Amazon, Uber, those high growth Silicon Valley companies, everyone wanted those jobs. And they were so cool. And you had cool offices just like we do. Um, and it was like, in vogue to be part of a high growth startup. And I think now when you think about, you know, the cross section of employee morale, you're thinking about words like, you know, mental well-being, um, you know, mindfulness, meditation, journaling. So I think our whole psyche is different. So one thing that this study kind of helped put me in the right direction, pointing me in the right direction is that we've evolved as a company and we're not the same company that we were two years ago. And we really need to be more people-centric. Um, we overhauled a bunch of our benefits plans and we're now doing community service. We're giving back. We um, we offered up a $100,000 donation to World um, Central Kitchen, which we're you know, really proud of. We had never done anything at that scale before. So I think we're becoming more of a woke company that our employees are proud to work for. And it doesn't have anything to do about what our numbers and what our results are, but just becoming a more empathetic human company. So I would say that's probably what I'm most proud of. The fact that I didn't realize it in January before the survey means that I'm not going to give myself a 
super high grade, but I'm working really hard right now. So I would say probably a B. A That's B. not bad. That's not yeah. bad. <laughs> and I, I mean, I think that every organization, like regardless of size or um, you know, how long they've been in market or whatever. I think everybody had to, over the last couple of years, like look inwardly and say, are we providing what we need to, to this, you know, employees or human capital or whatever to make sure that we are you know, giving them everything they need to, to, to thrive in this new environment. And I think that everybody needed that time to just, okay, let's relook at everything and let's make sure that we are appropriately aligned with everything and making sure that we are giving, you know, the, the most amount of the organization um, possible what they need to be successful because I think people ultimately drive the success, you know, of all these things. I mean, you're asking, you know, as a leader, a, a lot out of people, a lot of times, you know, they you spend most of your time with your coworkers and things like that. So it's like, you know, you want to make sure that they feel most enriched and most, I guess, like passionate to be there and do their best work. Because if that all, if, if you could, I guess, get that to happen, then, you know, great things end up happening in the office because it's just that um, specialness, that cumulative like effect where it starts to get buzzy. And I don't know, you know, how many people are in the office or, or not, but I, regardless if it's through Zoom or Teams or whatever, or if it's in the office, um, I think if, if if everybody's, you know, feeling good about what the organization is providing them, they're going to give a lot more out of the organization sure. as well. And ultimately, we are a health and wellness company. Yeah. So we have to be um, acting responsibly as a health and wellness company. So, um, you know, it, it's it's critical moving forward that we're we're promoting them, we're helping them from a career development standpoint. And that we're really, you know, our, our greatest asset isn't Jennifer Aniston. It's actually the individual employees themselves and what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. I was thinking about, you know, kind of maybe what could be next or maybe in terms of like where you see the category going. And I know that you, you know, you have those guardrails up in terms of knowing like, you know, what is vital and what is not vital proteins? Like where should you not go? And And I know there's a lot of conversation around like, bi-directional beauty at this point, like where it's, you know, beauty from within, but also, you know, the normal, I guess, application of what most beauty thinks about. And if brands have the right to win in both sides, is it, can they also do, you know, creams and and typical kind of like topicals? And can they also do uh, ingestible things? Or is that too much? Or even in the sense of, you know, now that Nestle Health Science, like, and, and, and Nestle as a whole, you have, you talked about coffee at the beginning. It's like, is there some type of functional coffee application that makes sense because of now the owner? Um, and I don't know if you want to give away any secrets or not, but it's just like my mind was wondering towards some of those things. Like, do you see that being maybe the future of Vital of any of those ideas, or are you guys, you know, you know, kind of focused in on one area? Yeah. No. I mean, I think you know, great companies are constantly innovating and they're constantly coming from a place of curiosity, like what should we do next, right? Does this make sense? Does this not make sense? I think one thing that we've determined, um, you know, we did go into both Sephora and, um, you know, kind of, I'm going to say the beauty sector, right? Nordstrom, yeah. Neiman Marcus, um, you know, different outlets like Blue Mercury. And I, I think the core consumer that's going into Sephora isn't necessarily looking for an ingestible product. Um, you know, our turns there were not as high as I thought they were going to be when we launched. 
Um, so I think about like the beauty brands that are doing well and, you know, like youth to the people is one of them and they have like a kale and spinach mask and, you know, Coco Kinds doing a lot of great things as well, um, with clean beauty. And I think it's just outside of who we are, right? Um, part of what makes vital very successful is we are, um, semi vertically integrated. So all of our powder manufacturing is done here in Chicago, not in this facility, but, um, outside of O'Hare. And that's very rare for, um, yeah. you know, for a brand, uh, a health and wellness brand. Usually it's off to third-party manufacturers. So it enables us to be very nimble. We're able to innovate very quickly. We can spin up a new idea and a new product, as long as it's a powder product, uh, in six weeks, uh, which if you would talk to, you know, Pepsi or Gatorade or any of the big CPG companies here in Chicago, they would tell you that in the innovation cycle is usually 18 to 24 months. So I think for us, um, that powder format is where we've won. It's where consumers think about vital proteins. Um, and I think crossing into like topical beauty is just too far outside, you know, who we are as a brand. Now, coffee is consumable. Coffee can be in powder form. So I would say that that has some, some legs and we may or may not be doing something in that realm. I would say that, um, you know, bringing collagen into other formats is uh, a direction where we're headed. Uh, we've got a new innovation with Jennifer Aniston that she co-developed with us uh, that will be out uh, towards the end of May. So we're super excited about that. So I, I think that capturing um, that net new consumer by bringing people into the brand, it's probably going to be done with the Vital Blue canister and our number one product, collagen peptides, but taking the existing Vital consumer and laddering them up into a different format like gummies, like, um, you know, collagen water, collagen bars, um, more functional food, uh, maybe a coffee, like that seems to be very much in our wheelhouse. Before I let you go, I got, I guess, one more question, and maybe it's just a hope uh, you can provide, I guess, some insights or inspiration to anybody that is thinking about joining um, as an entrepreneur, um, the like health and wellness space. I mean, obviously, people see how maybe competitive it is and, you know, wh whatever. And I guess maybe that scares people away sometimes, but I also think that there's immense amount of opportunity. And I guess if you have any like tips or insights that you can share or any advice to any, I guess, up and coming entrepreneurs, I, I would love if you would be able to share that. Sure. Um, so first of all, I think that you have to take a lot of risks and you can't be afraid of failure. So, you know, that's one thing that I often wish I could have told my 25 year old self, like stop chasing perfection. Perfection is not a possibility in anything in any endeavor, um, personal or professional. So I think that that fail forward, take risks. Um, I think it's really important to get your digital strategy first and foremost. So, you know, I see a lot of brands that try to go into retail and have retail, um, you know, somehow put you on the map. And at the end of the day, I mean, this is my belief, like I think retail is real estate. So it's my job as a brand marketer uh, to really put my brand on the map, right? It's my job to educate the potential consumer. It's my job to, um, you know, create a, a brand that sticks out. You know, I'm really proud of our packaging and how, you know, like the iconic Vital Blue. Now you yeah. see so many other new brands that kind of have taken a page out of our playbook 
which is, you know, like put bright, bold colors out there. In the old days, as you know, um, muscle farm days, everything was, you know, red and black in GNC and, and predominantly vitamin shop. And if you went into Whole Foods, everything was white and green. So I think you have to really curate what is that key differentiator that makes you very special and very unique. So for us, it was transparency and clean label and the cow in front of pack and the bright packaging. And then we kind of leaned into all things digital. So I think you really have to kind of, you know, figure out that um, differentiate, differentiate, differentiation. And also you have to chase your why relentlessly. If you can't tell a good story of why a consumer should buy your brand, they never will. I would also say that humility is really important because you're going to fall down and fail a lot. And there's going to be a lot of things that you don't know. But I mean, it's amazing how much you can learn from Googling, you know, third-party co-manufacturers. Like, what equipment do they use? Um, so, you know, I think those are all very important attributes. Um, I think curiosity, we talked about curiosity a little bit earlier. Curiosity is really important. Like, how does this work? How can I, how can I better it? How can I fix it? How can I improve it? Like, just thinking, you know, holistically, 360 degree view of any problem. And, you know, lastly, I would say, like, seek out great mentors because there's so many people in the CPG and health and wellness space that have, um, that have failed and have succeeded and have tried again. And I think that there's a lot of willingness to pay it forward and help mentor like the next generation of entrepreneurs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think that that's something super passionate side of me. I know that even you giving me some of your time, I know that was, you know, a main thing. We wanted to make sure that we could give as much like value and insights to anybody watching this. If it's, you know, tomorrow or years from now, hopefully there's, you know, a bunch of stuff that they can gain from this conversation. But um, Tracy, I want to thank you for all the time that you gave me. I mean, I'm really humbled that you took the time out of your schedule to talk to me and in my community. Um, I and I just, I just, you know, I just want to thank you overall because I, I think that you've done a great job at Vital. I think, um, you know, super impressive company. Um, you've been a part of the company for, you know, the, the the vast majority of that time, if not almost the entire time of it. And, um, you know, I think it's a, it's one of those companies that people should look to and, and get inspiration to, and and maybe even one day when they're in in, in business school and getting their MBA, it might be a, a business case study. You never know. I think it should be a business case study, right? <laughs> less than 1% of startups make it to 100 million. We did that in less than five years and obviously exited in less than eight. So um, yeah, I think that there's some great learnings here. And, you know, I mean, no matter what company you look at, you can dissect and, and gain valuable insights and gleanings from them. Well, thank you, Tracy. I appreciate this. Yeah, thanks, Joshua. I love your content too. So thanks for including me in on... Uh, everything that you do and put out oh, there. I, no, that, I really appreciate that. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 